right, and welcome to another episode of the Slaymaker Success Talks, where we dissect and pick the brains of any person that we can find willing to talk to us who has been successful in various facets of their life. I am your host and founder of the Slaymaker Method, Kyle Slaymaker. And today we have one hell of an interesting guest. We have Dave Dorman. So Dave, without any further ado, I will kick it over to you to give a little bit of a background. Hey, Kyle, how you doing? Thanks for having me on. Um, like Kyle said, my name's Dave. Um, Kyle asked me to be on, so here I am. I guess I'll give a little background. Uh, I'm married, father of five, five boys, uh, in a motorcycle club, uh, fight for civil rights, advocacy for uh, motorcycle rights, and I'm a nurse as well. Uh, predominantly, I stay at home now, but I am a LPN, a licensed practical nurse. Worked in drug and alcohol for several years like that uh, with a psychology background that I had in my earlier days. So that's where, that's me in a nutshell. Awesome, awesome. And we'll definitely dive into pretty much all of those things as we, we start moving on. So uh let's talk about the uh the psychology background what uh what brought you to that i just always found it interesting i took a psych 101 course you know right after high school and community college uh, my grandmother was actually a psychologist she went back to school later in life uh, and became a psychologist and it was just really interesting to me so i i started diving into that um took quite a few psychology and sociology courses, uh, switched majors later on when I transferred from community college, uh, wanted to go to law school. Um, so I saw political science was the route to go. I uh, kind of blew that one, making some stupid choices in my late teens and early 20s, but I've always liked psychology. Uh, it, it just has always fascinated me with the evolution of the human mind and just the way people think and some of the breaks in it. So I guess that's also what got me into drug and alcohol nursing as well, was kind of incorporating the very little psychology background that I did have and being able to hopefully help some people on, on their journey to recovery. Very nice. What, um, what made you go into the drug and alcohol? My parents are in recovery. Um, I've been around it, uh, you know, my whole life. So when the opportunity came up to go work at a drug and alcohol facility, it, it, uh, it was, it was a better job opportunity financially, uh, benefits. You know, we had had, um, two kids at home at the time. Uh, my wife and I were both in school, continuing on our, our education in nursing. So I took the job, you know, kind of knowing the field, um, not as much as I, I thought I did. But when I got in there and being able to make a, I guess you could say a quick, tangible difference with somebody helping them kind of real quick, um, you know, sometimes just have that spark was rewarding. I, I liked it a lot. I mean, it's, it's a low success rate field um, and recovery in general, but um, you know, I, I would talk with my, with my stepdad about it a lot and, and he could tell you the exact spot 
the exact sentence that that really clicked for him that made him understand recovery and what he needed to to do to go forward. So seeing that and and hearing that from people later on kind of kept me in it for a couple of years. Very nice for for uh, to touch base on your political science dreams and law dreams. I pretty much went through the exact same thing with with my first go at college. It was uh, political science because I felt that it would make me look incredibly intelligent. Yes. Um, uh, unfortunately, I walked into my first class and within like, I'd say a minute, I realized I was in so far over my head. So I walked out of the class after the class was over, walked into my first psychology class 101. And this professor said, the first thing you need to learn about psychology is there's no right answer and there's no wrong answer. And I went, sounds like the major for me, this can't go wrong. Uh, so fast forward a couple of years and I'm now in organizational leadership, but funny little story. So I'm glad to see you also have a political science background and a psych background and your story about your work in drugs and alcohol rehab has been, or drug and alcohol counseling is phenomenal. And that's, that's absolutely what we want to hear. So Dave, uh, you also said you, uh, you're a father of five. Yep. Wow. Five boys. Yeah. I have, I have three kids and I can barely keep my head above water sometimes. Well, the great Jim Gaffigan said, you know, what's having a third child is like is drowning and someone handing you a baby. So <laughs> after the second child, whatever, it's no different. If you're going to have three or four or five, just go for it. Go for it. Um, Dave, I was going to save this until the end, but I think we're kind of have the, the opening made here to, to start discussing one of your sons specifically. Uh, sure. Do you want to, do you want to tell the viewers about him? Yeah, sure. My, uh, my son, Tommy, uh, he's seven years old and he was diagnosed with autism at about two and a half years old. So uh, we have four sons at home. Uh, our oldest child passed away. So, um, you know, I guess I, I'll clear that up. We don't have five kids at home, but, you know, I have five kids. So we have four kids at home and uh, Tommy is autistic. Uh, so that kind of presents some challenges in, in life, <laughs> raising kids. That's a, it's a additional hurdle to deal with. Definitely. When you say it presents challenges, I, I know you're, you've got so much going on just outside of, of Tommy and the autism world too between your, your activism, your advocacy, being a nurse, entrepreneur and everything. Would you say that your experiences with Tommy have been a, not, not a hindrance, but helpful in other aspects of your life? Absolutely. Um, it's added just, I guess, a greater understanding of the power of patience and you have to learn how to communicate in a different ways uh, with autism and, and autism is such a wide spectrum and Tommy's not terrible, but he's not uh, very small on the spectrum where it's a couple little quirks. He is uh, seven years old and nonverbal. So having to communicate with him and he understands a lot what you're saying, but to receive his communication 
and try and learn and just pick up on his little cues. Yeah, I, I, I think it's helped uh, myself, my wife and my other children really learn a great deal about patience and, and, and reading people, taking that communication to another level. That's, that's great. Uh, I'm going to hit you with a, with a hard ball here. Sure. Um, obviously, my wife, Elizabeth, also works with, with kids on the spectrum. She's done it for the past 17, 18 years now. Um, verbal, nonverbal, all sorts of, you know, multiple disability services, you name it. Uh, and the one thing I've always found intriguing is the different reactions that I've seen when parents, or I've heard about when parents find out that their child has autism. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about that? Sure. Um, like I said, it was around when he was two and a half years old. Um, and we started noticing he wasn't talking at all. He, he would not say a word. He would only make sounds. And when he hit two years old and that wasn't coming again, you know, we, had, we had two other children who, who had hit that milestone and were saying words and and I think uh, my wife and I were both in denial, thinking, no, it's going to come. We just spoil him and his brother spoil him as well and just give him what he wants. He doesn't have to say the words. Uh, but just as kind of the days and weeks and months kept going, we started to, to notice some little things. Uh, the, the speech was the biggest one. And he would, um, what, what we call in the autism community is stimming. Um, where they will do like kind of a rigid, it'll be a hand contortion, playing with fingers, any, any number of things is considered stimming, but, but Tommy would do that a lot. And, and he would, uh, like I said, as we were going back and, and looking at him and, and thinking back the last six, eight, you know, 12 months of them, um, that he, he wasn't progressing, I guess you could say, neurologically as, as our other children did. So we took him to a specialist and had him evaluated. And, and I guess we kind of knew it was coming and it was just a confirmation because, because we had pushed it back, kind of that denial. And then the wait to go see a specialist uh, was probably another three, four months. Uh, I think we were able to sneak in uh, quickly with like an appointment cancellation. We're, we're lucky. Uh, I, I live in central Pennsylvania as well. So we had calls out to Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, Nemers, DuPont in Wilmington and wow. Hershey. So whichever one opened and Nemers happened to call us first and they had an availability. So we jumped right on that and and took the drive. It's not far. It's less than an hour from Lancaster County. So we went there and I had him diagnosed. And again, we, we, we expected it to come. We, we knew it was going to be there and it was just a confirmation. Then we would have the official diagnosis and then we could move on with his uh, therapies and help. Awesome. Another question that I, I love asking parents of children with autism What's your favorite thing about Tommy? He, oh, God, to even try and narrow that down. Um, you know, I, I, I think he's, he's really wily. Um, it, it's, 
it's funny watching the wheels turn, you know, and, and I had a friend of mine from out of state come in and, and uh, he had never met my kids. He's from Washington state, but he had been hearing about him for a couple of years. So when he saw him, uh, for instance, he was, uh, I, we were out back playing and I told him to close the garage door and he did. And then he wanted to go back. And, and as he was walking from my house out to the garage, he kept looking over his shoulder waiting to get yelled at and got to the door and leaned down and looked back and grabbed the handle, looked back and lifted it halfway up, lifted it on, <laughs> just waiting to get yelled at, but he didn't. And, um, I would say he's kind of smart, like a Fox and he'll do little things. Uh, with last night he had a bag of bagels and he wanted one and he saw me and he hit it and he turned around and hit it behind his back and walked backwards out of the doorway <laughs> and got his brother who's uh, 11 and a half to open the bag without me seeing it. So he could walk, he uh, just, I guess, to not even ask. So he couldn't be told no. We thought, well, let me get Jackson to do it so so I can do it. So it's it's really funny to watch him where he won't talk, but he understands everything that's going on and, and can get that. And and the way he'll try and slide under the radar is, is really funny, really interesting to watch him. That's incredible. Well, one more one more thing along those lines before we, we move on to your advocacy work and stuff like that. Sure. Um, I, I feel like I'd be doing not only our listeners and viewers are disservice, but also the, the autism community to service too. If I didn't have you discuss the, the stem cell stuff that Tommy's been doing. Sure. Um, stem cells have shown a lot of benefit in a, in a multitude of areas medically. Um, I personally think that that's going to be the future of medicine. One, one of the big parts in the future of medicine, the others being psilocybins and, um, and THC. Um, but stem cells have shown with, with a lot of things, uh, another friend in a motorcycle club, he, you know, had, uh, short knee issues. And now his one knee, the, the knee that he had one injection of stem cells is so much better than the other knee that's now having problems that he thought was his good knee. So there, there's not a lot known, I guess, about the root cause of autism um, and how it's played. So stem cells are what all cells in the body start as and can build into individualized cells. Um, it's not being done right now in the United States for autism. Uh, it's not FDA approved uh, at Duke University. They are doing clinical trials right now. It's incredibly expensive and there's a very long waiting list. Um, the first round of trials that they had were incredibly successful. Um, so hopefully that moves forward in the United States until then. There are other places you can go. Um, as a medical professional, I, I can't in good nature, quote unquote, recommend them. Um, but I would suggest if, if that's something that a, a parent is thinking about doing for their child, they can definitely look into it. Um, the Stem Cell Institute in Panama City um, is a really popular location. Uh, Dr. Neil Royardin, who is out of Texas, um, 
he is a PhD. He's not a medical doctor, but has a lot of medical doctors working underneath him. Um, he has kind of led that charge um, and opened a facility in Panama. Uh, that's where we took Tommy a couple years ago. Um, we saw a lot of improvements, you know, maybe it was just confirmation bias or anecdotal, but he seemed to engage a lot more uh, in the following months, um, which again, with, with autism, you, you won't see a lot of engagement or eye-to-eye -eye contact and um, they will parallel play, meaning they will play next to other people, but not engage with. So a couple months after um, he had stem cell treatment, he started uh, engaging with his brothers and he started looking you in the eye for a, a little bit longer than he had previously, where it might only be for one to two seconds. He was now doing a five to eight seconds. So uh, it has seen improvements. Uh, I'm hoping it comes to the United States and it's more accessible and more financially feasible for people. But until then, there are um, other avenues that you could look at. That's incredible. Well, Dave, I, I definitely appreciate you talking to, to all of us about Tommy. It is immensely appreciated. Sure. All right. Well, let's get into some more, uh, some more Life of Dave stuff. So, Sure. Dave, you mentioned and we all know that you are an avid motorcycle rider. When did you start riding? Probably 15, 18 years ago. I guess, um, yeah, I'd ridden a couple times in my late teens, I guess you could say. And uh, it was actually my wife had a motorcycle uh, when, when we met. Um, so that was one of the things that, that uh, really attracted me to her. Um, we worked together and, and she was a nurse. I wasn't at the time. And she came outside and she said how she had ruined her nails because she rode home on her motorcycle. I got to talk to that girl. So, um, so she actually had one before I did. And uh, shortly after we got engaged, we went out and, uh, and got a bike uh, for me. And it's been all downhill from there. Well, she sounds like an incredible woman. She's been dealing with me. I think uh, that's, that's first ballot sainthood as far as I'm concerned. She's been dealing with me for 15 years. So what, what do you love about riding? Everything, everything. I mean, all your stresses can go away. It, it you're, you're so hyper-focused on the road um, that the little annoyances, stressors of everyday life just go back behind you like the wind and you can just get into a zone and just enjoy it. And just the sound of the engine. Um, I, I have a, a bagger, a big dresser now. So I have a radio and I can just put on music and just go and everything can be gone. I mean, my wife will tell you there's a noticeable difference when before I left and when I get back home, it's, it's night and day and just smiling. It's, it's a cliche, but you will never see a motorcycle outside of a therapist's office. 
<laughs> I love it. Well, Dave, you you took your your love and passion for writing and and turned it into some some activism and advocacy, didn't you? Yes, yes. Yeah, we. Um, so when it, when I got into uh, the motorcycle club community, um, I knew a, a little bit, I guess, about the community. Um, not as much as I thought I did. Um, but we started, uh, you know, my club and I started going to different parties and events and things like that. And, and we uh, started noticing a lot of times just uh, people over yonder across the street or, or in that, that car, just taking pictures every time. And I remember being at a toy run in Philadelphia and we walked up and down the line and, and we get up to the front where um, the bulk of the other local motorcycle clubs uh, had parked their bikes. And it was just flashes and pictures and, and zoom in and just thought that was really peculiar for a toy run. Um, and I'd heard a couple things. There was an incident in uh, Delaware where, where a guy was killed by the police um, I believe, and a lot of people believe simply, uh, cause he was a motorcycle club member. It was a, a really unfortunate situation moving on and, um, hearing about the Mongols motorcycle club case in California. And I guess that, that had started before I joined the motorcycle club. And, and I just thought it was interesting that the government was attempting to take a collective membership mark. Um, from everyone for crimes committed by a few. So when I started, um, when I joined the motorcycle club and we started my club and, and started going to local meetings, I would talk about that. And um, I was into civil liberties a little before that, recording police and, and uh, freedom of speech, things like that. So to merge the two together was just kind of uh, natural. And, um, I would talk about uh, recording the police and, and things like that. And then also about the, uh, the case going on in California. And I just started getting deeper and deeper into it. And um, it just really expanded from there, finding um, that motorcycle club profiling was happening across the country. And, and I thought I should get involved. Awesome. That's, that's quite the story. So how are you involved now? What do you do? So right now uh, I am involved in um, well, multiple organizations. Uh, the two most prevalent would be the National Council of Clubs. Uh, that was founded by motorcycle club members after the uh, shooting that took place in Waco, Texas, uh, about five years ago, five years ago in May. Um, where the only information that was being given was by the Waco sergeant. His name was Swanton. And it was how there were hundreds of weapons recovered and, and uh, listed the number of firearms. But when, uh, when you look at it, it is Texas. And, and I have a friend in, in Texas, and he, he had four firearms on him that day. And he has four firearms on him at all times because he is a Texan. So 
they were counting rings and wallet chains as weapons. So after that um, situation, a couple guys decided, Let, let's bring everybody together. So that got together and, and we took that. And that's um, that was started by the club members for the club members. And uh, we do a couple lawyers who, who donate their time and, and they are great civil attorneys who donate their time and help out. And uh, we push for legislation uh, across the country um, related to motorcycle profiling. The other is uh, the Motorcycle Profiling Project, the MPP. Um, that's uh, uh, write a lot of articles. We're gonna release a podcast through there soon. Uh, we gather statistics related to motorcycle profiling, uh, only organization in the country that does that. Um, that can be found at MotorcycleProfilingProject.com. Uh, we've been doing it since 2015. Um, so we can, uh, we take that information and, and, and we partner with uh, the MRF, the Motorcycle Riders Foundation. They are the only uh, organization working at the federal level to address motorcycle specific issues. And we take that and we partner with them and we bring these statistics um, and facts that, that we gather, that we research, and we can bring them to politicians' office and make a tangible change there and wow. change the perception. Um, we do that at, at the state level with, uh, with the survey and the statistical data that's gathered from there. We, uh, the guy who runs that, his name is Bobby C. He's from the Sons of God Motorcycle Club in Florida. He can take that, pull out an individual state. He's done it for Pennsylvania. Uh, he's done it for Texas, Iowa, Louisiana, and uh, several other states that are working on motorcycle profiling specific legislation and can take that and organize five years worth of data and bring that to a legislator um, and say that this is what's happening. This is the reality. And this is what we would like, uh, what we would, we would like to see happen in order to prevent this from happening. Wow. Dave, that's, that's incredible. I mean, that's, that's such a great story, especially about the profiling when knowing what I do about the Waco incident. Um, and I mean, it's just, it, it's an incredible story. I'm, I'm glad you were able to bring it up and talk about it and even plug your, your organizations there for you. So all my viewers be on the lookout and listeners for the, the premier podcast that Dave is working on. I'm sure it's going to be incredible. Um, Dave, when I first approached you about being on, uh, and for those that don't know, Dave is also the man behind our video editing, so we have to give credit where credit is due there. So far. So, <laughs> so far. Pro pro I'll probably be too lazy and impatient to do it myself, so it'll probably be for a while. Sure. Um, but when I first came to you about being on the amazing Slaymaker Success Talks, uh, you were like, well, I, I'm not sure I'm really that successful, but I'll do it. Um, and I think that is a, a great point because everything that we've heard today from, you know, your stuff about being a nurse and drug and alcohol counseling, Tommy, uh, you know, meeting your wife, your advocacy work. I, I'm interested to hear why you would or, or why you don't perceive that as success because everything you've told me today has been riveting and incredible. Um, 
I guess it, it, I haven't accomplished everything. So I think if, if you believe you're successful, that's kind of telling yourself that, that you've reached, you've reached the goal. And then what? So I think if you can kind of keep that mentality that you want to better, you, you want to be better than you were yesterday and be even better tomorrow and continue to strive for that and kind of not rest on your laurels. I don't want to sit and say that, um, that I have a, a spectacular marriage. I don't, I don't want to rest on my laurels. I want to continue to make my wife happy who will continue to make me happy. If, if I can try and think of little things to do, then maybe that'll make her happier, you know, a uh, happy wife, happy life. Uh, but hey, ladies, uh, happy spouse, happy house. Um, <laughs> as far as with Tommy, I mean, Tommy, can do better he, he can one day hopefully talk and if i think that uh i'm successful with him then maybe that dials it down and and i do little things for him and not push him to further the things that that he can do or not yet do but if i say well he can pull the shirt over his head that's acceptable but he can't get it onto his head he, he can pull it down so have to continue pushing. Um, we don't have a federal law addressing motorcycle profiling. We don't have a law in the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, we only have them in four states, Washington State, Maryland, Louisiana, and uh, Idaho. So we still have 46 to go and federal. So I think if you sit back and say you're successful, you believe yourself to be successful I don't think uh, you in, in the back of your mind will have that drive as when you're first starting out. Uh, when I write an article, I don't want to think it's, it's, um, it's the greatest article ever written, you know, that it's, that, that it's the Gulag Archipelago or something. It, it's not. Um, it can be better. It can be more engaging. It can be more riveting. Um, I can speak better to a politician. I can speak better to my wife. I can speak better to a patient who's asking for advice about what they should do as far as recovery. I can speak better to my children. I can speak better to family and friends. I don't, I don't want to rest on my laurels. I want to um, continue to, again, be better than I was yesterday, strive to be, you know, for tomorrow to be even better than today. Dave, I am completely uh, blown away that that is honestly even outside of the podcast world and, and my work uh, that is that is one of the most powerful things I have I have ever heard and that's not blowing smoke that was incredible um, so I mean I, I don't know how we're going to top <laughs> I don't know how we're going to top that at all um, so I guess we're gonna we're gonna wrap up here we've we've hit just about I mean actually everything on my on my question sheet that I sent you um, is there anything you want to talk about or any plugs you want to give that you didn't already? Um, I would just say, check out the motorcycle profiling project. 
Um, David Devereaux, Double D from Washington State, he's done a great job organizing a lot of really good people who've put in a lot of work um, with with motorcycle profiling across the country. I mean, there, there are too many to name. You know, it's been going on for 30, 40 years. Uh, guys have been working on it and, and now really working together with uh, motorcycle clubs from across the country and bringing in independent riders as well and, and different organizations. And then if you would like to help uh, autism in any way or learn more, the, the largest organization and, and the most prevalent is Autism Speaks. Uh, you can look for them. Other than that, uh, I think that's it. That's, I don't have anything else to add unless you wanna ask any more questions. No, like I said, I, I think it's best I quit while I'm ahead. That, that last little uh, two or three minutes was fantastic. Um, so, Dave, I mean, honestly, thank you on behalf of my viewers, listeners, anybody that watches this on YouTube, a huge and genuine heartfelt thank you. This was one of my favorites so far that I've done. So you did a great job. So on that note, I will allow you to say goodbye, and then we will wrap this up. All right, Kyle, thank you for your time and uh, good luck in the future. I'm sure you're going to do great. Of course. Thank you very much. And to all our viewers, thank you for tuning in. Be sure to stay up to date on Facebook at The Slaymaker Method, my website, www.theslaymakermethod.com. You can find us on Spotify at The Slaymaker Success Talks and YouTube under the same name. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next time.